to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Hosea, chapter 7. Hosea, chapter 7. And God willing, we'll be expounding verses 3 through 4 this morning. Hosea, chapter 7, verses 3 through 4. The title of the message this morning is, The Baker and His Bread. The Baker and His Bread. Now, we left off in Hosea 7, 2 last week. Uh, where God said of Israel, if you look in verse 2, and they consider not in their hearts that I remember all their wickedness. Now their own doings have beset them about. They are before my face. Now if you have a pen, underscore the independent clause, their own doings have beset them about. Their own doings have beset them about. Now, the word beset, in fact, Brother Shepherd, uh, last week in Sunday school, was speaking about the word beset. And I love how his Sunday school dovetails in to uh, the morning service. But the word beset you several times in both the Old and New Testaments. And it's talking about someone surrounding their enemy. Used to in the old movies, and Tammy and I love watching old movies. Used to in the old movies, the, the police would get the megaphone. This is back in the Ramey's day when this actually happened in real life. The police would get the megaphone and they would say, come out with your hands up. We have you. We have you surrounded. Right. Well, what they were really saying is we have beset you about that. <laughs> we have you surrounded. And so speaking of Israel, God didn't say the enemies have surrounded them. The enemies have beset them. He said, your own doings have beset you about. Israel wasn't trapped by their enemies. They were trapped by their own doings. The United States isn't trapped by her enemies. She's trapped by her own doings. She was set about by her own doings. Uh, in other words, Israel, God was saying, you are your own worst enemy. That was it. You're your own worst enemy. And, you know, the, the vast majority of the time, I think we would all agree, we get ourselves in the fixes that we're in, whether personal fixes or national fixes, or uh, church fixes. But we get ourselves in the fixes that we're in because of our own doings. And then people continue to stay in those fixes, continue to repeat those problems, because they fail to acknowledge, I was beset about by my own doings, and they end up blaming other people for their circumstances. Well, I wouldn't be doing this if that or I wouldn't have this problem if it wasn't for someone over here doing this to me. Now, if you'll uh, take notes and write down in your notes, your margin, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. Sin will surround you just like the police surrounded the bad guys back in the old days, and they still do today. But sin easily surrounds us and besets us and traps us in. We're at the safest place in life when we are in the center of the will of God 
following the word of God. God will never be set us about. He will guard us round about. He will keep us like a hedge of protection, but he'll never enclose us like an enemy if we stay in his word. Now, we're going to go ahead and move forward this morning in our text into verse 3 now, speaking of Israel's sin, where God says in verse 3, they make the king glad with their wickedness and the princes with their lies. Boy, I tell you, when I'm studying this particular text for this study, it keeps bringing me back to our own country and our own time today, which is what this text is for, is what our Old Testament scriptures are for, is to say, hey, this is relevant for your government and for your life today. They make the king glad with their wickedness and the princes with their lies. You really can't appreciate the height uh, of, uh, or the depth, rather, of someone's fall, unless you know the height that they fell from, right? You just cannot appreciate it. And Israel was the grandson of a man whom God had promised to make a great nation out of, and God fulfilled that promise, giving Israel 12 sons, and from those 12 sons, making 12 tribes into a nation. And uh, even when Pharaoh would not let them out of Egypt, even when Pharaoh tried to destroy them as a nation, God and his great love and his great power for them, he delivered them from Egypt and he brought them into the promised land. And God led them to that promised land all the way and gave them a righteous law to go by. And God told them, if you'll only you know, follow my righteous law, if you'll only do my commandments, then uh, I'll continue to bless you. I'll continue to protect your land. I'll continue to bless your nation. And all other nations had a man as their king. But Israel had God as their king. The creator of the world was their political leader. Could you imagine? Wow, it's exactly what I thought, Michelle. Exactly what I thought. Now, Brother Doug, I usually say, that's, that's what I thought too, Brother Doug. Here, Michelle's helping me out here now. But that's exactly what I thought whenever I, I read this text and I started studying this. They had God as their king. And so long as they followed their king, then uh, their king would bless them. Their king would protect them. And can you imagine? I want you to think, can you imagine this morning? How wonderful it would be to have God as the commander-in-chief in the White House. Could you imagine? Could you imagine having Jesus Christ as the commander-in-chief in the White House? Could you imagine how high America could go if Jesus, not the Democrats, Jesus, not the Republicans, but the all-knowing, all-powerful, all holy and never changing righteous Jesus Christ was king of the United States. Could you imagine if he was king of every state of in, in the entire world? Could you imagine what it would be like to have a politician who would never tell a lie? Can you imagine what it would be like to have a leader who would really drain the swamp? That means drain it dry and then fill the land with the Holy Spirit of God. How wonderful it would be to have God dwelling among us. Folks, all that imagination you just did in your mind, it's coming. 
it's on its way. That's what the second coming of Christ is all about. The second coming of Christ is not to get us to go up in the rapture and then disappear from the world and float around on the cloud and strum the harp. The second coming of Christ is to get the king in heaven and God's will be done in heaven uh, here on earth. Isn't that what Jesus taught us to pray? Thy kingdom come. Not our kingdom go away. Not us go up to be with you and just abandon the earth down here. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Folks, one day the king is coming and we're going to have a king rule the land that's righteous. He's going to be our God. That's what Israel had. That's the sad part. That's what Israel had. And that's what Israel rejected when they told Samuel, Give us a king like the other nations. Did you know when Jesus comes back in the second coming? Did you know they're going to do that again? They rejected their king through Samuel. They rejected their king when he came through Jesus. Rejected the king then. When Jesus comes the second time, you read there in the book of Revelation, you're going to see they reject him again. Again, even in the millennial reign, they'll reject him again. Like the devil, a new generation of young people grew up who didn't know God to be their king. And foolishly, they wanted a man to be their king and to fight their battles for them. Man, I don't want a man to fight my battles for me. I don't want a Veterans Day. I want Jesus Day. You know, that's what I want. And now we see just how far they fell. For they went from having a loving king who was pleased when they committed righteousness God was pleased when they committed righteousness to now having leaders who were pleased when they committed sin. That's what the Bible is saying here. It's the same way today. Look back in your text there. Look what the text is saying here. He says, they make the king glad with what? Their wickedness and the princes with what? Their lies. Same way today. When people ride in the streets, it makes our leaders glad. When people kill their unborn children, it makes our leaders glad. (laughs) When sexual perverts seek an audience with our little uh, children, our most innocent children, it makes our leaders glad. When the President of the United States flies gay pride flags outside the White House to celebrate man's open rebellion against God's design for human sexuality, you know you have a problem. Their wickedness made the king glad. He was happy with Israel's wickedness. Our leaders are happy with America's wickedness. It seems like the worse people are, the better our leaders like them. They make the king glad with their wickedness and the princes with their lies. Their lies. Tell me if it, this doesn't do what to you what it does to me. It outrages me. When I see public servants brought before the Senate, brought before the Congress to testify in some important hearing, and you can tell those servants are lying, You can tell they're stonewalling. You can tell they're spinning the truth to intentionally uh, mislead a righteous inquiry. It makes me angry. It makes anybody who has a sense of justice angry. 
but it makes our princes, our leaders, glad. We rejoice in iniquity today, and we despise holiness as a nation. Political leaders are supposed to keep wickedness in check. That's what they're supposed to do. Judges, lawmakers, the executive branch, which actually enforces and puts that into, into practice the, uh, so the judges and, and, and lawmakers can actually have that enforced. And they're supposed to keep wickedness in check, but instead they're promoting it. When, when King Solomon first began to reign, he knew what was, what, what was good for a nation. He knew what the king was supposed to do. And wanting to please God and to be the good king, Listen to what he prayed in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 7. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 7. Solomon prayed, And now, O Lord, my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father. And I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or come in. And when Solomon uh, said, Lord, I don't know how to go out or how to come in, he was talking about him being a shepherd going out and taking the sheep out of the the fold or the pen and then bringing them back in after they've had been led beside still water and taken out to green pasture, bringing them back into safety. That's what he was talking about. In fact, in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 9 through 11, Jesus said, I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out that's what Solomon was talking about. I don't know how to go out or come in. Jesus said, if he'll, if he'll believe in me, if, if he'll come through me as the door to God, he'll be able to go in and out and find pasture. He said, the thief cometh not before to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life. For the sheep. Listen, when the sheep are safe and when the sheep are healthy, a good shepherd's going to rejoice. But Israel's shepherds rejoiced when the sheep brought the wolf into the fold. Israel's shepherds rejoiced anytime their sheep went astray. That's the picture we're looking at here. And and for this, Israel was ready for judgment. And our nation is doing the same thing. They rejoice when the sheep bring the wolf into the fold. They rejoice the further away the sheep go astray, the more our leaders like it. Here's the kingdom truth for you this morning. When a nation's leaders don't judge, that nation is in danger of God's judgment. When a nation's leaders don't judge, that nation is in danger of God's judgment. Israel was supposed to be faithful to God, but God said, look now in verse 4, if you would. Look now in verse 4, they are all adulterers. Now, we've seen that already in the text. Like an unfaithful wife, Israel was being unfaithful to God. Look, look again, how were they adulterers? As an oven heated by the baker. Now, I know this is not common terminology, and I remember when I read this, I told my wife, I said, honey, there's a complicated passage of Scripture. I said, pray that God will give me understanding of it. And I said, and I gave her uh, something that, uh, a little insight into my heart. I said, used to, when I was a young pastor, 
when I would come upon a complicated passage of Scripture, I would get anxious about it. I would get nervous about it. But now having been in the ministry and having experienced the faithfulness of God for so many years, I told her when I come upon a complicated passage of Scripture, now I get excited about it. Because he's so faithful, he's never let me down. And sure enough, he gave me the understanding of this past, uh, passage. Because when you think, you know, someone cheats on you, you don't say, well, you're, you're, like, you're an adulterer, just like a baker heating oven up. You know, that's not what we do, you know. <laughs> what is that talking about? But as, an, as, as a baker heating, heating the oven here, and what is that talking about? Israel's unfaithfulness to God was like a baker heating up an oven. So I want you to picture in your mind right now an oven being heated by the baker. Now, I know we've got bakers in here. Elizabeth Jeremini, she bakes. All those Jeremini kids bake. And uh, my wife bakes. And uh, you, you have to have that oven warmed up at the right temperature before you put that in. So picture in your mind a baker heating the oven. And what is the baker baking? Well, look back in your text. He's a baker, look back in your text, who ceaseth from raising after he hath kneaded the dough. So what's the baker baking? He's baking bread. He's got bread dough here, and he's kneading this bread dough. He's making fresh bread. And then after he kneads the dough, he ceaseth from raising. And basically what that means is this. He's over here working that dough and all this stuff here. And once he kneads that dough, he sits down. He lays down, he takes him a nap, and he patiently waits on the dough, and he doesn't get back up again from his lazy little retreat as he's slumbering away. He doesn't get back up again. When? Until, look back at your text, until it be leavened. Now, we all know if you're baking bread, it takes time. It takes time for that bread to get leavened. And remember, in the Bible, leaven is always a picture of sin. It's a picture of sin. And the reason is, is because leaven works through the process of fermentation. It works through a process of breaking down or corruption, if you would. You look in the, in the United States government today and you see process of corruption. A process of breaking down, a process of fermentation. And most of the time, when my wife makes bread, I've never heard it called this before, but when I married her, I learned a new term. She calls it quick bread. You know what quick bread is? It's not, it's not yeast bread, though, because it's quick, right? Yeah. You, you know why they ate unleavened bread when they came out of Egypt? Because they had to leave quickly. Right, they, they, the Bible says their bread didn't have time to leaven. They had to. They got up. They rushed out uh, from their homes on Passover night, and so the unleavened bread is what my wife calls quick bread. All right, because all you have to do is put the ingredients together, pop it in the oven. But this baker's not making quick bread. He's not like my wife. He wants his dough to be completely leavened. And Israel was willing to wait on it. They were willing to wait on their bread to get leavened. In a spiritual sense, Israel was like a baker who was preparing herself something deliciously sinful to eat. And they weren't going to eat their bread. They weren't going to put that bread in the oven 
until it was completely corrupted by sin. What are you talking about, Brother Richard? What is God trying to describe here, Brother Richard? I'll tell you. Israel did not want to be middle-of-the-row sinners. They wanted to go all the way, be all the way sinners. They had imagined in their minds what they wanted their nation to be like. They had imagined the level of corruption that they wanted their land. They had imagined this, you know, when, when, when Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they were able to imagine evil. And the Bible says right before the flood that their imagination of their hearts were only evil continually. And America has imagined their land to be a certain way, how they want to change it. They don't want to go back, they say, in time when more God-fearing people were in control. They want to go forward, they say. Well, they're going forward. They're just going forward to the wrong destination. And, and they, the, Israel did not want to be middle-of-the-road sinners. They wouldn't be satisfied until they reached that level of wickedness in their land. Now, you look at our nation today. It's full of people who are relentlessly pursuing greater depths of wickedness. And tell me if I'm wrong. When society... Anytime society gives in to them, and we've watched the bar, haven't we? Used to the bar used to be set up here. And then, and then we'd have people protest, people want to do this, people want to do the other. And then after a while, the politicians say, well, they're really complaining here. And, And so they move the bar a little down here. And you know what happens? The nation doesn't say, well, how wonderful. We're all happy now. You move the bar, you compromise down here. You know what they do next? Now they start protesting. Start doing it. Why? They want the bar down here now. And then down here, because they, they don't, when they imagine, they don't imagine in their wickedness, they don't imagine the bar coming down here. They imagine that uh, bread, the leaven of that bread, getting all the way leavened. They want to go all the way in their wicked sin, and they, they don't get satisfied with compromise with sin. They keep crying for more. They keep pushing the limits and pushing the limits because their fleshly belly is craving for sinful bread. And they want it to be fully leavened. Here's a kingdom truth for you this morning. Boy, is this so important for us to learn today. Here's a kingdom truth. God will never be satisfied with partial holiness. Satan will never be satisfied with partial wickedness. I'm going to repeat that again. God will never be satisfied with partial holiness. Satan will never be satisfied with partial wickedness. Never think that you can compromise with sin and find some kind of middle ground where everybody's happy. It's never going to happen. Once you make an allowance for sin in your society or allowance for sin in your home or allowance for sin in your personal life, man, never trust your flesh, folks. Once you give in to your flesh, your flesh is going to keep wanting you to lower the bar as well. But once you make a compromise with sin, you can rest assured that it will be the first of many compromises that your society will demand that your own flesh will demand. Hosea said, look now in Hosea 7, 5, in the day of our king, the princes have made him sick with bottles of wine. He stretched out his hand with scorners. When it came time to celebrate their king, 
the leadership beneath the king, the people who were celebrating their king, maybe like Inauguration Day for us or something like that. How do they celebrate their king? They made him sick with wine. They celebrated by making their king drunk. What was going on here? What's God describing here? Israel wanted a king just like them. Israel wanted a leader who was just like them. Why do you think Joe Biden's in the White House? America wants a leader like them. When I was a teenager, the rebellious young people, and I, at one time, I was a rebellious young person. Now, my mama would swear I never did anything wrong. She's got a bad memory and a, a good intention and a bad memory. But when I was a teenager, the rebellious young people had a code, a code, a secret code. It was a word that assured other misbehaving kids that present adult company would not tell on them. If you were drinking alcohol or if you were acting up in classroom, if you were doing something you weren't supposed to be doing and an adult come around, and if an adult come around catching that young person, that group of young people who weren't doing something they were supposed to be doing, one of the young people would see the adult coming and they'd say, hey, are they cool? That's what we'd say. Are they cool? And if the adult was known to approve of sin, if the adult was known to tolerate rebellion in young people, then the other young person who knew the adult, if that person was cool, they'd say, yeah, it's okay. He or she's cool. That's what they'd say. They had a different code word in Indiana where Tammy was. Uh, I won't share that with you. I don't want to tip her mom off to any of her misbehaviors back then. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding with you. I'm kidding with you. But, but kings, <laughs> kings back then and kings today, they wanted to be cool. They wanted to be cool adults and the young people wanted the kings to be cool adults. And have cool adults watch over them, cool leaders watch over them, because they knew that the cool leaders would let them get away with anything they were not supposed to do. That's what they wanted. I remember when Bill Clinton ran for president. I'd followed politics some as a young person, but when Bill Clinton ran, I was watching the political campaign, and he gets out on one of the late-night comedy shows, puts a pair of dark sunglasses on, gets his saxophone, and starts playing the saxophone like he's a real cool guy playing at a nightclub. Did anyone see that besides me? few other people saw that. Uh, none of the young people would see that. Y'all weren't around back then or weren't old enough at least to, to remember that. And I remember as a 20-something-year-old man watching that thinking, what does that have to do with being a president? And, and why would I want someone like that to run my country? But you know what the rest of the world was thinking? Hey, there's a guy that's cool. He's like us. We can get by with anything. And that's why he could uh, have his affair with Monica Lewinsky, lie to the nation about it. And everyone say, hey, the economy's fine. Don't worry about it. He's cool. He's like us. Uh, foolish people today, they want politicians who are cool. 
They want politicians who will let them get away with their sins rather than judge their sins. That's why we have the leaders we have in the White House today. Israel supported leaders like that. Leaders who stretched out their hands with scorners. You see what it says about the king here? He stretched out his hands with scorners. People who mocked God rather than obey God. Look down in verse 6. For they have made ready their heart like an oven. Now, I told you to picture the oven in your mind, remember? And they're warming the oven up. When you think of the oven, think of preparation. Preparation. They made their heart ready like an oven. When you're going to eat your sinful leavened bread, you got to heat that oven up and get the oven ready. Their heart was heated up like an oven. Their heart was set. What do you do with the temperature? You set the temperature and you say, here, I'm going to set it at 350. I'm going to set it at 425 or whatever you're trying to cook. And their heart was set on fulfilling their carnal lusts. And they were willing to make the necessary preparations to make sure their nation could fulfill those lusts. They prepared to indulge in their sin just like a baker prepared to make and eat his leavened bread. They heated the lust of their sinful hearts up. Look back in your text. Whilst they lie in wait. So when you're thinking of the oven getting heated up, think of preparation. When you think of lying in wait, think of patience. Preparation, they set the oven. Then they waited for the leaven to rise, and that's not preparation, that's patience. In other words, they, they waited on their bread to be leavened while they waited on their sinful plans to be carried out. Man, if you don't think that uh, that our leaders, if you don't think the people that are that are handling our leaders right now, if you don't think they have sinful plans for this nation, man, you are naive. This has been going on. That flies from the devil. This is you see that karate. This has been going on for years and years and years. Church, there are people in our nation right now who have evil plans for the direction that America is going in. And they're waiting for their sinful plans to be carried out. They're waiting for the leaven to spread in our land. Yes, look back in your text. Their baker sleepeth all the night. You ever heard of terrorists coming in having sleeper cells? There you go. Their, their baker sleeps all the night. They got the oven lit. They got the plans made. You don't light an oven until you have plans to bake the bread. You got the bread all worked out here. All you need is a little time, a little patience to let that leaven work and let your plan carry out. Why are these perverts reading uh, storybook time to our children? Why are they doing that? They don't, because they are, they are letting the leaven spread. They got a plan. If I can get to this child at this age, then by the time this child gets voting age, they're going to be able to prove of our wickedness. They're trying to reach the children now. They're trying to reach them in the school system, reach them in the libraries. They're trying to reach them now. So, And then they're just going to sit back and wait and wait for those kids to grow up, wait for their wicked plans to, to be carried out because they're not going to put their bread in the oven until it's fully loved. They won't be satisfied until their sinful lusts are fulfilled, so they wait patiently on their bread while their sin spreads in the land. 
look back in your text, and then, while their sin spreads in the land, then, look back in text, in the morning, it, that is their oven, burneth as a flaming fire. So, when the oven was lit, that was preparation. While the baker is laying down, waiting on the dough to rise, that's patience. When the oven burns, that's passion. You see, the three things that God's describing here, now the oven's burning. When the time is right, when the morning comes, after all their patience has been carried out, don't think they're going to keep sleeping. Don't think they're going to keep tolerating Christians. Listen, when, the, when, when if they had their way, they would get rid of us. We are standing in their way. They would get rid of us in a heartbeat. And when the time comes at the end of this world, the devil's sleeper cells are going to wake up. The devil's plans are going to wake up. The man of sin is going to introduce himself to the world. And there's going to be persecution like you've never seen before. Jesus said if those days weren't cut short, there wouldn't be any righteous people left in the world. And when that time comes, so the oven's lit already, folks. The, the, the Bible says back in the New Testament, when uh, 2,000 years ago is when it was written, that the spirit of Antichrist is already at work. Okay, The spirit of iniquity already works. And so when that time comes, it's going to burn as a flame of fire. That's the passion. It smolders in the night, but it burns in the morning. When the end of this world comes, it's going to be like an oven on fire, uh, flaming, but thank God Jesus is going to come. He's going to put it out. That's what he's going to do. Now, what is this bread that they're going to eat? Hosea is going to tell us. What's this yummy bread they're going to eat? Look here in Hosea 7, 7. They are all hot as an oven and have devoured. Now, if we're going to eat something, and God willing, we'll have our food brought here in a little bit uh, from McAllister's. We're going to eat our food and fellowship after church. When we eat something, if we're eating it up, we say, hey, man, I devoured it. Was that good? Oh, yeah, well, I devoured it. I watched Brother Pete devour food last night at at, uh, at the, the Cracker Barrel. It says they're all hot as an oven and have devoured, look, their judges. They devoured their judges. All their kings are fallen. There is none among them that calleth on me. What are they wanting to eat up? They're wanting to eat up anything that's able to draw consciousness to their sin. They want to eat up anything that allows them to, to, to have the fear of God and to call on the name of the Lord. And they just eat them up like bread, like bread, until finally... They've got these wonderful, warm kings, tasty, leavened kings in their mouths. And finally, the cool people are in charge. The world has fallen its sinful ways. Listen, that's why when the man of sin comes, who most people call the Antichrist, that's why when the man of sin comes, they're going to eat him up. They're going to absolutely love him. They're going to take in everything that he tells them. They are influencing, they're perverting, they're bribing, and if that doesn't work, they're slaying their leaders until they get the wretched society their sinful heart craves. That's why the man of sin is going to be so welcome by the people. That, brethren, is why we are seeing honest politicians targeted in America right now. 
If you want to run for president of the United States and you don't want to play the political game and go along with the corruption, then just get ready to be a political target. And if you're willing to be a pawn in the people's hands and promote their sinful ways for your political gains, then get ready to be eaten up by the wicked sheep you fell to lead. And with that, we'll go ahead and close this morning with our text. And God willing, next Sunday, uh, I'll be with them in person and with you all online. And uh, we'll take up where we left off. And uh, I love you guys at home. I uh, miss you guys. Uh, I enjoyed watching the Sunday school this morning. Uh, we had such a good time. And when the quartet was singing uh, this morning on stage, our group here was singing with them. It was a very precious time. We love you and God willing, see you uh, Wednesday night. Take care. Goodbye.